0: In the Tuesday, October 18, 2005 edition of the USA Today, there was an article on the front page of the sports section about former pitching great Dwight Gooden. Here are some of the comments from that article. Quote, This is a tragic story of a famous uncle and nephew and a family ripped apart by the beast of substance abuse that threatens to swallow the man once seemingly destined for baseball immortality. Unless he can help himself, 40-year-old Dwight Gooden remains in free fall toward a hall of disgrace. Gooden lives at every moment of every day, an almost surreal portrait of a hazy life turned upside down. It's a far cry from 20 years ago when Nike displayed a massive photograph of him pitching for the New York Mets on a Manhattan building. And then this line from the article, he was given a gift, he gave it back. When he was 19, he was National League Rookie of the Year with the Mets. The former Cy Young Award winner and the World Series performer, who signed more than $35 million in player contracts, now lives in a downtown Tampa condo and battles drug addiction. End quote. The tragedy of a wasted life. And as you well know, that that isn't the only example that could be given. The examples are almost endless. They are paraded before us, it seems, daily on the news Or in the newspaper. I think of a star running back for Ohio State by the name of Maurice Claret. In 2002, he led Ohio State to a national championship. He was considered by some to be a can't-miss prospect for the NFL. Since that time, he has had three arrests and convictions. He was drafted by the Denver Broncos in the spring of 2005. However, on August 28, 2005, only a month after signing a four-year contract and before playing a down in the NFL, he was released on waivers. On January 1, 2006, police announced that they were searching for him in relation to two incidents of armed robbery that took place in Columbus, Ohio. The next day, he turned himself in and was released on $50,000 bond until his trial date came around. On the very day his trial was to begin, August 9th, he was arrested early that morning. On September 18th, he was sentenced to seven and a half years in prison. On December 14th of that same year, it was announced that he would be changing prisons. Not changing NFL teams, changing prisons what a tragedy those are somewhat recent examples in our lifetime but this morning i want us to look at an example from the past so turn with me in your bible please to second chronicles chapter 9 back in hebrew scripture we have first and second samuel first and second kings then first and second chronicles i want us to look at second chronicles chapter 9 The person in view for this message is the person who has great potential and many possibilities yet squanders and wastes what could have been. Sadly, there are many people who do not realize or maximize their potential, their gifts, their possibilities the Lord has given them in life. Instead, they minimize them or they waste them altogether. This is the tragedy of a wasted life. And beloved, please realize that if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are a child of God, if you truly belong to Jesus Christ by faith, you have great potential. I don't mean that if you are a Christian you automatically have the ability to be a professional athlete or a wealthy entrepreneur or a world-class musician. That's not what I'm talking about. What I do mean is this. If you have the Lord, you have great potential to live a life that really means something. You have the potential to live a life that counts for eternity. You have the potential to live a life that makes a difference in the lives of others. Thus, there is no reason for you not to be a powerful influence in this world for the kingdom of God and the cause of Christ. You are endowed with an amazing capacity because of Christ in your life. But sadly, some of you will never realize that potential, it won't be maximized it will be minimized, or worse, completely thrown away. Look at Second Chronicles chapter 9. We read this. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem to test Solomon with hard questions, having a very great retinue, camels that bore spices, gold in abundance, and precious stones, And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for Solomon that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and their apparel, And his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord. There was no more spirit in her. Then she said to the king. It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe their words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told to me. You exceed the fame of which I heard. This statement here in verse 5, right at the end of verse 5, it says that when she heard this, she was, we could almost paraphrase this, she was blown away. She was breathless. Because she says in verse 6, I heard this, I heard all of this, but even all that I heard, which usually, you know, there's exaggeration involved, she says the half wasn't told. Verse 7, Happy are your men, and happy are your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God, who delighted in you, setting you on his throne to be king for the Lord your God, because your God has loved Israel to establish them forever. Therefore he made you king over them to do justice and righteousness. That was her response response of the Queen of Sheba to all that she saw and experienced in her visit to Solomon and his kingdom. Skip down to verse 30 of this same chapter. Verse 30 says, Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel forty years. Then Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. The message this morning is going to focus not on Solomon, but on Rehoboam. However, I wanted to read to you the opening verses of this chapter to give you the background of Rehoboam's life. Rehoboam's father, Solomon, expanded the kingdom of Israel to its greatest extent ever. Under Solomon, Israel experienced her heyday, her peak. And when Solomon died, it was all turned over to Rehoboam. With all that he had going for him, Rehoboam was probably voted most likely to succeed. His very name, Rehoboam, Rehoboam meant enlarger of the people. (coughs) Solomon was probably the one who had given him that name, anticipating that Rehoboam would expand the kingdom even more and enlarge the people even more than Solomon himself had done. He had so much going for him. His grandfather was David, a man after God's own heart. He was the giant killer, the Philistine defeater, the songwriter, the courageous leader. That was Rehoboam's grandfather, And then there was his father, Solomon, of whom the half had not been told, according to the queen of Sheba. Solomon had wealth you cannot imagine. Twenty-five tons of gold came into the kingdom every year. Every year, twenty-five tons. He had an ivory throne overlaid with gold. All the furniture and utensils in his palace were overlaid with gold. He had so much gold, Scripture tells us, that silver was completely worthless in his kingdom. The Bible says it was like common stones and ordinary rocks. You find a piece of silver, you throw it off to the side like a rock. Not only did Solomon possess wealth, he possessed immense wisdom. Under his leadership, Israel experienced the golden age. The kingdom was prosperous, broad, safe, secure, and wealthy. This was the situation that Rehoboam stepped into when he became king. Can you see why I said that he could have been considered most likely to succeed? He had everything going for him, everything. He had tremendous potential. He could have followed in the footsteps of his grandfather, David, and his father, Solomon. And he could have been writing psalms and proverbs to be sung and read by millions of people. He had a phenomenal head start. He succeeded his father, but he didn't succeed. As you may know, under his leadership, the kingdom experienced a horrendous split. It was under his leadership that the ten tribes of the north broke off and formed the northern kingdom of Israel, while the two tribes in the south, Judah and Benjamin, remained loyal and became known as the southern kingdom of Judah. But that's not the end of the story. He still could have had overwhelming success as king. Let me show you what I mean. Look at chapter 11 here of 2 Chronicles. Verse 5 says... So Rehoboam dwelt in Jerusalem and built cities for defense in Judah. And he built Bethlehem, Itam, Tekoah, Beit Zur, Soko, Adullam, Gath, Marishah, Ziph, Adoraim, Lachish, Azekah, Zorah, Aijalon, and Hebron, which are in Judah. And Benjamin fortified cities. And he fortified the strongholds and he put captains in them and stores of food, oil, and wine. Also in every city he put shields and spears, and he made them very strong, having Judah and Benjamin on his side. And from all their territories, the priests and the Levites, who were in all Israel, took their stand with him. Don't miss that. That is an extremely important statement. All the godly men took their stand with Rehoboam. They said, basically, we're with you, Rehoboam. We're not with Jeroboam, who was the ungodly king of the northern kingdom of Israel. You may remember that Jeroboam set up his own religious system, which involved establishing his own priesthood and setting up two molten calves at his own place of worship. One of them many of you have seen on trips to Israel up in Dan, in the northern part of Israel. Jeroboam did all that for political reasons because he didn't want the people of the north traveling south to Jerusalem to worship. He was afraid if they traveled south going to Jerusalem that eventually their hearts would be inclined toward the southern kingdom. So Jeroboam set up his own religious system. But this verse tells us that all the men of God took their stand with Rehoboam. They said, we're with you, Rehoboam, not with Jeroboam. We're with you. We're on your side. Look at verse 16. It says, And after the Levites left, those from all the tribes of Israel, such as set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord God of their fathers. And then skip down to verse 22. And Rehoboam appointed Abijah, the son of Mahah as chief to be leader among his brothers for he intended to make him king he dwelt he dealt wisely and dispersed some of his sons throughout all the territories of Judah, Judah and Benjamin to every fortified cities and he gave them provisions in abundance so rehoboam had a rough start By making a foolish decision that resulted in a split in the kingdom. But these verses that we just read tell us that that eventually he began to recover. He was honored by godly men, fortified some key cities, and he made some wise decisions. But I want us to see the bottom line for King Rehoboam most likely to succeed. Turn over to chapter 12 of 2 Chronicles. Chapter 12, verse 13. Thus King Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem and reigned. Now Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah and Ammonitus. And here we go. And he did evil. That was God's final assessment of his life. He did evil. He had so much potential. He had so many possibilities. He had such a promising future. But when it was all said and done, he did evil. Have you ever been to a funeral where this kind of thing was said? I doubt any of us have. At funerals, people are eulogized and all of their good qualities are mentioned, all of their good deeds are mentioned, even if what is said is inaccurate. But you never have someone get up and say, this was one sorry man. This man did evil. Yet that's what God said about Rehoboam. He did evil. So the natural question that surfaces is what happened? Why did it happen? What caused Rehoboam to live his life this way? What took place that resulted in God's assessment at the end of his life he did evil? Let me mention some possible considerations. Maybe the problem was his compromising father. If you know the story of Solomon's life, then you know that near the end of his life, he allowed his heart to be turned away from the Lord by his many wives. He compromised Scripture by multiplying wives to himself, which God had specifically forbidden in the Mosaic Law. It was specifically stated that the kings were not to multiply to themselves horses, gold, or wives. Solomon compromised, did that, and as a result, his heart was turned away from the Lord. Maybe that was the problem in Rehoboam's life. Maybe he looked at the example of his compromising dad, and that was his problem. It wouldn't be the first or last time that a father had that kind of negative impact on his son. Many of you come from homes where your father was not what he should have been or what not what he professed to be. And if that was the case, then it would, it would be easy to say, I am what I am because my dad was what he was. Maybe that was Rehoboam's problem. Maybe it was his compromising father. Or maybe it wasn't because of his compromising father. Maybe. The problem was his idolatrous mother. Chapter 12, verse 13 says that Rehoboam's mother was Naamah and Ammonites. We read that just a moment ago. The Ammonites were a pagan people whose God was Molech. The worship of Molech was so hideous and so obscene that they would sacrifice their children to him, if you can imagine it. They would sacrifice their own little ones in honor of him. They would make their children pass through the fire. That's the way it's described in the Old Testament, which means that they would be offered as a fire sacrifice, a burnt sacrifice unto this God. That was the kind of people Rehoboam's mother came from in her lineage. That was her background. So maybe Rehoboam's problem was his idolatrous mother. We know from Scripture that foreign wives were what turned Solomon's heart from the Lord. So it wouldn't be a stretch to suggest that Rehoboam's mom was why he he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Maybe you come from a home in which your mom didn't follow the one true God. Maybe your mom was an idolater. That doesn't necessarily mean that she bowed down to a carved image. It could have been idolatry in a different form. It could have been idolatry in the sense of worshiping things or creature comforts or money or security or or whatever. That's a form of idolatry. It wouldn't surprise me a bit if some of you came from a family with a mom like that. If so, it would be easy to look at the situation and come to the conclusion that you are what you are because of the influence of your mom. Maybe that was Rehoboam's problem. Or maybe it wasn't his compromising father or his idolatrous mother. Maybe it was his foolish friends. Let let me show you what I mean. Look at chapter 10. Chapter 10, this is when Rehoboam first took over as king of the United Kingdom. This is is in the early days, right at the beginning. It says in chapter 10, verse 1, And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it, for he was in Egypt, where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon, that Jeroboam returned from Egypt. Then they sent for him and called him, and Jeroboam and all Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke which he put on us, and we will serve you. So he said to them, Come back to me after three days. And the people departed. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived, saying, How do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him, saying, If you are kind to these people and please them and speak good words to them, they will be your servants forever. But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. And he said to them, What advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me saying, lighten the yoke which your father put on us? Then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him saying, thus you should speak to the people who have spoken to you saying, your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. In other words, they were telling Rehoboam to say, I am a bigger man than my father ever was. I am bigger, I am stronger, I am badder. What a bunch of idiots. But Rehoboam listened to them. He listened to them so maybe that was his problem maybe that's why he did evil in the sight of the lord scripture does warn us in many places about the influence of our friends and about the danger of having the wrong kind of friends first corinthians fifteen thirty three says do not be deceived evil company corrupts good morals evil company corrupts good habits If you choose friends who are disrespectful and disregard authority, you are flirting with disaster. Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with wise people will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. I can probably tell you much about your future by looking at who you companion with, and who you hang with, and who you want to be around those friends will contribute to the kind of person you will become. So maybe that was Rehoboam's problem. Maybe that was it. Maybe it wasn't his compromising father. Maybe it wasn't his idolatrous mother. But maybe it was his foolish friends. Or, here's another possibility. Maybe it was all three. All three. What I mean is maybe Rehoboam's problem was his compromising father, and his idolatrous mother, and his foolish friends. Maybe it was all three of those influences together. After all, we are certainly influenced by our background. No one would deny that we're influenced by our background, and our upbringing, and our friends, and all of that combination put together. So maybe that is why Rehoboam did evil in the sight of the Lord. But notice chapter 12 again, and notice the reason God himself gives. Chapter 12, verse 14, says, And he did evil, here's God's explanation, because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Do you see the causal clause in that verse? He did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. That's why Rehoboam did evil. That was the reason God gave to explain why Rehoboam did evil. It was not his compromising father's fault. Or his idolatrous mother's fault. Or his foolish friend's fault. It was his fault. It was his fault. God does not say, Rehoboam did evil because he came from a dysfunctional family. Or Rehoboam did evil because his friends led him astray. Certainly those people may have had an influence in Rehoboam's life. We we don't discount that. But we can never, listen to this, we can never excuse our actions or pass off our actions on to someone else. The buck stops here. It stops with us. Rehoboam did not set his heart to seek the Lord. That's the bottom line. It was not something external. It was something internal. It was not an issue of smart. It was an issue of heart. It was not something outward. It was something inward. You see, beloved, it is not all the things that happen to us on the outside that determine who we are or what we become. Did you hear that? It is not all the things that happen to us on the outside that determine who we are or what we become. On the contrary, our internal core condition is what will define us. That is what will determine what God says about us when we are dead and gone. That is what will determine if God says, He did evil in my sight, or He did what was right before me. Beloved, it all comes back to this. Have you set your heart to seek the Lord? Have you prepared your heart to seek the Lord? The greatest defining factor in your life, the greatest defining factor in your future is this issue without any doubt. The word seek here in this verse, verse 14, because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. This word means to pursue. It's a word describing intention. In other words, we don't seek the Lord passively, we don't seek the Lord casually. It's an active thing, a priority thing, an earnest thing. It's a whole heart thing. Look at chapter 15, just a couple chapters over. This chapter tells us about Rehoboam's grandson, Asa, and the changes he made in the nation among the people. Chapter 15, verse 12. It says, Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. Now that's radical. That's really serious. This was done because the decision of whether or not to seek the Lord has life-changing ramifications. It has community-wide ramifications. The people understood that if they as a whole did not seek the Lord, then it would not only ruin their lives, it would ruin their nation, and it would ruin their future. So verse... 14 says, Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul. And he was found by them. And the Lord gave them rest all around. Sadly, Asa's wholehearted devotion to the Lord and seeking of the Lord diminished in his later years. And he and the nation suffered the consequences. Let that be a warning to us, beloved. It's possible to seek the Lord for a while. To pursue the Lord for a while. Only to back off as time goes on. Be warned. Be warned. This isn't something we determine once and let it go with that. This is a regular, ongoing resolve. God says at the end of Rehoboam's life, he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. His grandson Asa did for a while, but then he drifted. What a tragedy. The tragedy of wasted potential. The tragedy of wasted opportunity. So I'll say it again. The defining feature of your life that will determine if you maximize your life or waste your potential is rooted in whether or not you will set your heart to seek the Lord. Will you resolve to seek the Lord wholeheartedly? Will you set your heart Prepare your heart to seek the Lord. Now go back to chapter 12 and look at that 14th verse again. It says, Rehoboam did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. The word set, depending on your English translation, some, some versions say set, prepare. The word set or prepare whichever word is in your translation, this word is pregnant with meaning. It is saying at least two things. One, it is saying that Rehoboam did not put himself in a position to hear from the Lord. He did not seek the Lord early. He did not seek the Lord daily. He did not seek the Lord regularly. How about you? Do you put yourself in a position to hear from the Lord? Are you here when the Word of God is proclaimed and taught? Are you here regularly? Do you you consult the Word of God during the week? When you need input or advice or direction, do you seek it from men or women who will give you biblical input? Do you seek it from people who will give you God's perspective? Do you, listen, do you put yourself in a position to hear from the Lord? Rehoboam didn't. He didn't. Look at the opening verse of this 12th chapter. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now it came to pass, when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, that he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel along with him. What a pathetic statement. Rehoboam forsook the word of God. He did not put himself in a position to hear from the Lord. He didn't prepare his heart. That's one idea in that word there in 2 Chronicles 12, our key verse. But the word also has the idea where it says he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord, this word also has the idea of resolving to stay in a position of seeking the Lord. The Hebrew word that is used here is used both ways throughout Hebrew Scripture. I won't go to all the uses to illustrate it, but this Hebrew word, kum, is used in both ways. It is used to refer to preparing something, readying something, which which is why I said he didn't put himself in a position to hear from the Lord, But it is also used to refer to being resolved, and fixed, and steadfast, and immovable. Which means Rehoboam did not resolve, and he did not steadfastly determine to maintain a commitment of seeking the Lord. Let me say it this way. He was a part-time, short-time, half-time seeker. If there is any such thing. Part-time, short-time, half-time. That won't cut it. That won't get it done. There has to be a steadfast, determined resolve to be immovable in our seeking of the Lord. Psalm 57, 7 says, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. By the way, that's the same Hebrew word, as the one used here in chapter 12, verse 14, which tells us what Rehoboam did not do. Rehoboam did not prepare or set his heart to seek the Lord. Psalm 78.8 exhorts the people of God not to, here's the quote, quote, be not to be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart aright did not set its heart aright, and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Psalm 78, 37 says, For their heart was not steadfast toward him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. Beloved, may that not describe us. Rehoboam did not put himself in a position to hear from the Lord, and he didn't resolve to stay a seeker of the Lord. Thus, instead of having an epitaph that read, There was none greater than Rehoboam the son of Solomon, it instead read this way, And he did evil. What a tragic waste of opportunity. Rehoboam's epitaph could have read very easily. He could have read there was none greater than Rehoboam in all the history of Israel. None greater who sought the Lord God of Israel, who followed the Lord God of Israel wholeheartedly. That could have been his testimony. That could have been his epitaph. And instead, it's these awful words the first four words of verse 14, chapter 12, and he did evil. What a tragic, tragic waste of opportunity. So how about you? Your life, my life, is out ahead of us. We don't know how long. We don't know if we'll make it through this next year or if the Lord will give us 10 years or 20 years but whatever it is, your life, my life, it's, it's out ahead of us still. It's there in front of us. What is your epitaph going to say when you're dead and gone? What, what, how's it going to read? Is it going to say, and he did evil? Is it going to say he was a part-time, half-time seeker? Or is it going to say, He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Have you prepared your heart to seek the Lord? Let me say it this way. Do you put yourself in a position to hear from the Lord through His Word? Have you set your heart to seek the Lord? Is your heart fixed and steadfast and immovable in your ongoing resolve to seek the Lord? How is your epitaph going to read? I remind you, beloved, you have great potential. If you are a child of God, you have great potential. The Lord can use you to impact other people, to touch other people's lives, to make a difference, to to be a, 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 a witness for Christ in this world. You have the potential. What are you going to do with that potential? What are you going to do with that opportunity? Is it going to be a wasted life or an invested life? That's the decision that faces us as we look to the future. Let's bow together as we close this morning. And as you bow your head and close your eyes, this is a a good time... Not only a good time in our service, but a good time of the year, a good time in life for evaluation. A good time to stop and look back, think back, to look at your life and look at the decisions you've made and to look at the resolves in your life, the things that you've determined that you will do, will not do, will be, will not be. It's a great time to do that. To look back and then to look forward. To think about the future. To realize that there's another year ahead of us. But we don't know that we have a year. We may not have a week. Maybe we have a month. Maybe our life will be cut short by a tragic accident. Or some other, or some other way. Or maybe the Lord in his graciousness will give us 10, 20, 30, who knows how many years. But when it's all said and done, when it's all over, what will be the message that is left behind by your life? My exhortation to you this morning, my encouragement to you this morning is not to be like Bon. Don't be like Rehoboam a man with so much potential, so much opportunity, and he wasted it, completely squandered it. And understand, understand that when it's all said and done, you you can't blame your life on your father or your mother or your friends. Though They can have a tremendous influence on us, not denying that. But when it's all said and done, what have you chosen to do in relation to the Lord God? Have you chosen to set your heart, to prepare your heart? That's what will determine your future, not your past. Your past will only control your future if you allow it to control your future. But it can change if you will set your heart, prepare your heart to seek the Lord. He can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. He's amazing in his miraculous grace to be able to do that. So don't use use any excuses. Just determine you will set your heart to seek the Lord. And you'll be amazed at what he can do in you and through you, in your life, in the days ahead. So, Father, as we close our time together this morning and we close out this year and we look back with thoughtful, prayerful reflection and we look forward to what lies ahead, and we don't know what that is. None of us know. We may have plans for this next year, but we don't know that those plans will come to fruition because we are not in control of the future. But as we think about the future and look forward to the future Our prayer is that we will not be like Rehoboam. That we will not waste our lives. That we will not throw away our opportunities. That we will not squander the grace that's been extended to us if we are children of yours through faith in your son, Jesus Christ. What immense grace you have showered upon us. What potential you have given to us to be salt and light, to touch others, to be an encouragement to those around us to be an example, to be a trophy of your grace. So, Father, I pray that each and every one of us would make that internal decision to set our hearts to seek you, to put ourselves in a position to hear from you through your word, to be fixed and steadfast and immovable in our ongoing resolve to seek you, so that our epitaph will read... He did right in the sight of the Lord. She did right in the sight of the Lord. And not he did evil. Deliver us from wasted opportunity and a wasted life. May our lives count for Christ in the days ahead, the weeks ahead, the months ahead, the years ahead, whatever time you give us. This is our prayer together in Jesus' name. Amen.